0: This is the PFT PM podcast and now your host Mike Florio
1: day two of the draft edition PFT PM podcast trying to get this one done and posted so you can enjoy it before it all becomes moot by the start of round two round two and three Friday night round one was Thursday night you know the drill by now four through seven on Saturday there's a point in the afternoon on Saturday where I will just wish the thing to be over. I remember being at the draft four or five years ago, and it just kept dragging on and on and on, and my wife and I had dinner reservations and show tickets. I eventually said, I'm out. I can't take it anymore. I got to get out of here. There will be a point on Saturday where people will experience the, I just have had enough moment. Because even though they try to sell you on the idea that one of these obscure picks taken in round six or seven could become the next Tom Brady pick number 199, 2000 draft, we don't know it now. Without the benefit of a DeLorean, 1.21 gigawatts of electricity and 88 miles per hour, we have no way of knowing which of these guys is going to be great. And if we did, they would have been drafted by now. That's the one thing that you don't hear much of during the draft broadcast, which has become a TV show, a TV production aimed at maximizing the extent to which people have hope. It's positive. It's big. It's hopeful. There will be analysts who have a guy rated far lower than he's picked, but they won't say that when the players picked higher than he should be. We all know that half of these draft picks will be bust. That's never said. Wouldn't you love it if Trey Wingo or Rich Eisen provided a word of caution before the first pick? We do all of this fully aware of the reality that half of the players selected tonight will end up not earning a single dime of the guaranteed money that they are about to to earn, or at least get. They won't earn it. They'll get it. For them, it truly is a lottery prize because they will have done nothing to merit the transfer of those funds from the NFL team that selects them into their checking account. And God forbid anyone point out the reality that in no other business could 32 competing companies determine how the workforce is going to be disseminated. When I asked Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, too many (coughs) Joshes. When I asked Josh Rosen about that earlier this week, because he slid right into my wheelhouse and I got excited because I wanted to see what free-thinking Josh Rosen thought about the un-American reality of the draft. He said, well, if you let the players pick their teams, you would have some teams that would have all the players. And that's just not how it works. It wouldn't happen that way. Players aren't going to choose to go play for a team where they see the depth chart and they know they'd be second string, third string. They're not going to choose that. No way. And if you have a real salary cap, and they, they currently do, there's a rookie salary cap that is based upon where they're drafted. But you could give more money to the Browns, less money to the Patriots, and just say go. That's how we will ensure competitive balance. The Browns have more money available to sign their new class of employees and the Patriots have less. Otherwise, these guys have the right to go wherever they want. Think of how over the years this has morphed into an idea that it's a dream come true. It's a dream come true to be arbitrarily selected at least from the player's perspective to go work and live in some city possibly thousands of miles from their family and their friends where they grew up the places where they would prefer to be up oh, you got to move to cleveland up oh, you got to move to seattle up oh, you got to move to la you got to move to a state with 13% state income tax you'd prefer to live in a state with 0% state income tax oh well Them's the breaks. Nobody ever points any of that out. And I think that, I don't know, is it because I'm old? There are older people than me who cover the draft. I'm just not caught up in the draft media industrial complex. And also I'm committed to authenticity and truth to the audience. And I marvel at how this thing has grown when it is founded on some fundamental truths that Shout unfairness to the individuals involved. It's unfair to tell somebody, here, here's where you're going to work. And somebody asked me, well, don't you feel the same way about trades? And you know what? Now that you mention it, yeah. You should be able to go work for a company. These are 32 separate companies. This is not one company. It is not NFL Incorporated. It's not. It is 32 competing businesses that are all separately owned and managed and operated. And they're very different. And you should be allowed to pick which one you're going to work for. Oh, but the draft, oh, the NFL would lose the most exciting night of the year. No, it wouldn't. You could still come up with something that would be like the draft, where these players announce where they're going to go, where each team announces its class of incoming players. There wouldn't be the same order. That's the problem. It'd be more like high school to college where, hey, this guy is announcing where he's going, and that guy's announcing where he's going, and it just wouldn't have the same. I guess what would happen is the media, the NFL, ESPN, NFL Network, Fox all working together would come up with 40 players, the top 40. Here's our list of the top 40, and each of the top 40 guys picks their, their destination, and then the next 40 pick their destination, and so on and so forth. I don't know. I guess that's how it would work. I don't know. It doesn't matter because it's never changing. So I don't know why I'm wasting my time and yours talking about it. The other thing that bothered me last night, let me get some stuff off my chest. I got a real problem with a lot of you people, and I'm going to tell you about it right now. I don't have a problem with you people. Hashtag PFTPM posse. You're an aggressive and zealous bunch. I don't want you mad at me. I think I've created a monster here. The draft is a monster, and the idea that they basically carved a piece of pie, AT&T Stadium. Can you believe 20,000 seats? 20,000. It's a 100,000 seat stadium. They set up a draft theater with 20,000 seats. Why? They got 100,000 people on site. 80,000 of them are outside. 20,000 of them are inside. How about put all 100,000 inside? Let's have a real scene. Why do they not want to do that? The NFL told me that the viewing experience wouldn't be great for all the fans. Well, you mean they wouldn't be able to see the giant drive-in movie theater screen that hangs over the damn field that when you go to a game at AT AT&T Stadium, you don't even look down at the field. Your eyes are drawn to this gigantic image that's right in front of you. I remember at Super Bowl 45, Packers-Steelers. It's the only game I've ever been to there. You sit in the press box, and you're trying to watch the game, but you realize right in front of you there's this mesmerizing... High definition 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 image of everything that's happening on the field. You gotta love that high definition in your image, and uh, you can't look down on the field. It's right there. So I, I don't know whether they didn't want to have a hundred thousand people booing Roger Goodell. I didn't know whether or not they don't want to set a bar so high that every other draft until they go back to AT&T Stadium is going to feel less adequate. And see, the camera angles and everything made it look bigger than it was. It's almost like Saturday Night Live. The camera angles can be configured and twisted and warped in a way that it makes it look bigger. Because you never got the impression that 80% of the stadium wasn't being used. Not once. Some of the shots from high up, before they turned down the house lights... Still images. You can see all the other seats back there, but I just don't know why. I don't accept the explanation. Why do they care? It's free. Oh, if you don't like it, leave. Oh, he, uh, NFL, I'd like to complain about the quality of the, of the uh, sight lines. I uh, can't really see what's going on down there. I see a red-haired ant coming out onto the stage every 10 minutes or so. Not quite sure what he's saying. I know I'm supposed to boo when I see him, but other than that, no, but, but it's free. You don't like it, leave. The people would be there. You think that there were great sight lines when 70,000 people were crammed into the outdoor draft experience area in Philadelphia last year? But they want to be there. And you will know what's happening. I mean, if you live within reasonable driving distance of AT&T Stadium, would you rather watch it at home or would you rather watch it in person? You're going to watch it anyway. Go watch it at the stadium. And Jerry Jones makes a shitload of money off all the concessions. Open up all the concession stands. That's how you make your money. Charge the same amount they did for a tub of popcorn during Super Bowl 45. $15 for a tub of stale popcorn. It wasn't even a tub. It was more like a little basket. It was like a little picnic basket like Red Riding Hood would carry to grandma's house. It was nothing for 15 bucks, And that was eight years ago. Can you imagine what it would cost now? Do that. That's how you make your margins. Anyway, one last thing to bitch about before I move on. The Ryan Shazier moment was spectacular. To see him walking, to see the look of determination on his face, the only time I haven't seen him smile since the injury occurred back in September when he suffered the spinal cord injury, had spinal stabilization surgery. Once you have that, you're not playing football again. No doctor is going to clear him to play again. The only goal at that point is normal life. To see him walking, it was both uplifting and heartbreaking because you see how far he still has to go. And you can see, even without any commentary, you can see that it's still going to be a long battle. For Ryan Chazier to get back to where he was. And it was a great moment. And I saw somebody in the coverage, I think it was in Sports Business Journal, somebody said that the people at the stadium had no idea this was going to happen. For them, it was a true surprise. The problem is there were some spoilers for whatever reason. I saw a tweet from Shefty. I was watching the NFL network Fox feed, and at some point around Pick 26, Rich Eisen says, you're going to want to stay tuned for a great moment that is coming when the Steelers make their pick. Well, anybody who's been paying any attention to the NFL over the last four months knew exactly what it was because we know there have been Ryan Shazier sightings. He's been standing. He got out of a golf cart and stood a few weeks ago at the Ohio State spring game. So it was obvious that point. And look, I'm the moment is the moment, but Everything else is controlled and contrived and produced, and you're not allowed to tip picks, and this is all about the maximum benefit and impact of a TV show. Well, why in the hell would you spoil that moment? Why? Just let it happen. They didn't spoil the Muhammad Ali lighting the Olympic flame in 1996. I mean, everybody knew that there was like some anticipation, but nobody had any idea. It's not like, oh, you want to stay tuned because a boxing icon is going to light the torch, and we won't say who but it's going to be a boxing icon. So I I don't know. I don't get it. And I think that it probably bothers me more than it should, because every year the memo goes out to the broadcast partners to not tip the picks, which is fine. Now, I don't decline tipping the picks at a deference to the NFL. I honestly believe that it's better for the audience, that that's what the audience wants. I'm not making the judgment. Here's what's good for you. I know that's what the audience wants. I've been down that rabbit hole before. It's settled. The percentages are high enough that there's no question. The audience wants the experience of the commissioner walking out to the podium and making the announcement without knowing ahead of time. And you know, my kid was with me last night and I see, you know, his his assignment was to be scanning Twitter for anything I may miss. He was seeing what some of the picks were and he was shouting them out. I was like, damn it, I don't want to know until I hear the commissioner say it. I still feel that way. Even now that I'm in the business, I don't want to know. There's a ritual to it. And I remember getting pissed off when Chris Berman used to drop those dumb hints. Make it look like he's in the know. Why do people feel compelled to make it look like they're in the know? I know something you don't. Why? That's what Rich did. Nothing against Rich personally. But why did he feel compelled to make it seem like he's in the know? And really, you stay stay tuned. Don't stop watching the draft. You sat through 26 picks. Don't stop now. Like anyone's going to get up and leave as pick 26 becomes pick 28. It just that was that was irritating. And 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 look, I I know that that the the big story here is Ryan Shazier, but the impact that had on people, I, I would have started bawling like a little kid. Not that I wanted that moment, but when everything else is contrived and produced and oh, don't tip the picks and all, oh, let's not take away from the impact. Why would you take away from the impact of the biggest moment of the night? That's my point. I hope I've articulated better than I did last night on Twitter because some people gave me shit on Twitter for it, which I really don't care about that. I just don't want my message to be misunderstood. The moment was about Ryan Shazier. But if this whole thing is about maximum entertainment value for the audience, if this is now officially transmogrified from a football players meeting at which the rights to these players are arbitrarily dispensed based upon who wants which one into a television production that is going to be broadcast on three networks with an open aspiration to make it like the presidential election, why are you spoiling the biggest moment of the night? Why are you spoiling what was arguably the biggest moment of any draft? And I don't know. I can't remember another moment like it. Why would you spoil it? Why? Why? I don't know. All right. Here's what I know. Time to answer some questions. I didn't really have much substance today because we've said everything we need to say about round one, PFT Live podcast, all three hours available. We talked about it today, picks one through 32 with an emphasis on the first five, an emphasis on the quarterbacks, an emphasis on the big trades, an emphasis on the surprises. There's nothing more I can really say. So I'll just answer your questions and through answering your questions, maybe I'll have more to say. We'll do it that way. PFTPM Posse, getting in on the action quickly as usual. What's your best, worst, most shocking, et cetera, memories or moments that you remember or experienced with the draft? Man, I wish I'd thought about that one in advance. I don't know. Best, worst, most shocking moments. Best, worst. I mean, I used to hate Chris Berman having to let us all know that he knows more than the rest of us, that, yeah, hey, we are aware of who the draft pick is before the commissioner says so. I used to hate that. I I, uh, I remember when Randy Moss was drafted in 1998 because he had the West Virginia connections, and that was a fascination for people in West Virginia as to where this state boy made good was going to end up. And as he slid and slid and slid and the Cowboys had an opportunity to get him and he had been led to believe by the Cowboys they were going to draft him, but because of Michael Irvin Jerry Jones was a little gun-shy about drafting Randy Moss, and that has to be one of his great regrets that he didn't draft Randy Moss And when he landed at 21. And by 21, the commissioner, then Paul Tagliabue, was not even the one calling the picks. It was Gene Washington, his lieutenant, who was calling the picks then. That's how much it's changed in the last 20 years. So I remember that being a big moment. I remember the 1999 draft with all the quarterbacks. That was the day that I ran a half marathon in Patascala, Ohio. Where we it was ninety nine. I had already run two marathons. I think I was still in that mode where maybe I'll run another marathon. So you you stay in a reasonable degree of running shape. And I still had the afterglow. Like, you know, when you run the New York City marathon, you don't just stop running, you keep running. Where are you running? I don't know. I'm just running. Why are you running? I don't know. I don't know. Be in shape. Why you need to be in shape? I don't know. Live longer. Well, what if you get hit by a bus while you're running? Well, you don't live longer then. But that was a half marathon in a town about 30 miles from where my sister and her family live in Columbus. And I actually was in the lead. I think I've told this story before. Maybe in this setting. It was not a well-marked course. And there was a point where you were supposed to turn right and everybody else had gone straight. And when I came upon the point where you had to make the decision to take a right or go straight, I looked down at the road, I looked around and I came to the conclusion that all those people I see up there running, they didn't turn where they were supposed to turn. So I turned, and it was the damnedest feeling, and I can't remember how long it lasted. It probably felt like it lasted longer than it did, because the entire time I had this sense of, you know, it's just a matter of time before those dumbasses figure it out and blow right by me, and they did. Oh, they did. I think I ran it, in I don't know, it was a half marathon. I, I didn't do horribly. One forty, Something like that. It's another thing to add another 13 miles on top of the 13. The first 13 I could handle. Oh, I was fine with the first 13. It's the second 13 that knocked the shit out of me. But yeah, I was in first place for a while in the Patascala, Ohio half marathon the day that Donovan McNabb, Achilles Smith, Tim Couch, Dante Culpepper, and Cade McNown were drafted. So that memory sticks out because the rest of them are just, it's one after another. And the draft is one of those experiences like Christmas and the Super Bowl, and Thanksgiving where the passage of time is like the blink of an eye. It's one of those days of the year where here we are again, we're back in this spot. We were just here. It feels like we were just here and here we are again. And they do all kind of blend together. So I liked it last year when Mike Mayock lost his shit over the orangutan being involved in the selection of picks. And I can't wait to see what he does tomorrow when the parrot gets involved. I have a feeling someone's spoken to him about, you know, we invite these people to be involved in our process. Let's not offend them and insult them because they they didn't have to agree to participate. Another one from the PFTPM Posse, reminiscing about San Francisco from San Francisco. We talked about him earlier in the week. We have to get him in the PFTPM Posse and on the PFTPM podcast. I don't know about letting him on the PFTPM podcast. The guy disappeared on his own volition. And now that the 49ers are good again, he's probably going to come sniffing around. We'll see if we have a return of San Francisco in San Francisco. I'll believe it when I see it. But I'm not rolling out the red carpet for the guy. He left. I'm not big big, big on the whole prodigal son thing. Once you leave, you're gone. You're done. Bye-bye. We're not going to slay any fatted calf when you decide to come home. Recliner QB, do you think someone will jump up and take Shaq Griffin in the second round of the NFL as a business, and we in the PFTPM Posse understand that profits come first to teams, and having Griffin would be hugely profitable, I will even buy his jersey. You know, I... I think somebody's gonna give this guy a shot. It's an inspiration. It's a guy that you have in your locker room for the entire course of his career that prevents anyone else from complaining about anything. Right? Man, ah oh man, I'm tired. I didn't get much sleep. I'm having a bad day. What in the hell? Why do I have to be here? Oh, wait, Shaq has no hand. I really can't complain. I mean, seriously, I'm not being sarcastic. How do you complain about the minor inconveniences of your day? And we all do. You know, the one thing about when times are normal and we should be happy that we're not going through adversity or hardship, we're not. We find something to be stressed out about. Like we each have our own little stress meter where we have to always have something that stresses us out or irritates us or that we're obsessed about. And if everything is great, we become obsessed with the absolute dumbest shit. I do it. And I try to remind myself, wait a minute, why do you care about that? Everything's great right now. When things are great, enjoy that they're great. And don't worry about dumb little inconveniences. And when you have somebody that you're dealing with all the time, who is dealing with an adversity with a smile on his face, I think that keeps you from getting too twisted up in the things that you shouldn't care about. And in an NFL locker room, where you got a bunch of different personalities and you got a bunch of different guys who may have sticks up their ass for reasons they shouldn't, having Shaq Griffin in there I think will help. Now Chris Sims gave a very blunt assessment and he said he wasn't trying to be a wise ass. The bottom line is you're drafting a guy who doesn't have a hand and it's a fairly important appendage when you're talking about playing football. I mean look at how concerned everyone was about the ability of Jason Pierre-Paul to play football when he lost a finger and a half this is all five fingers and the thing the fingers go on. It's just not there. So that does sound crass. It's, it's reality. I mean, if a guy's going to fall off the board because he's got a heart condition that reasonable minds differ on, whether or not it's a heart condition, or there's a lingering back issue, or there's a knee problem, or there's a neck issue. There's concerns about Leighton Vander Esch because of a neck issue. If you're missing a hand, probably a big deal. But my reaction is, well, the guy's played at a high level. The guy's played at a very high level. So at some point, because Chris's argument is in a big moment, he's gonna make a mistake and people are gonna say, well, he made the mistake because you entrusted that spot on the field to a guy who has no hand. It's like, Chris, I don't think it's that simple. I think that, that you know people make mistakes all the time when they have both hands, when they have no physical impairment. They fail to make a play. I, I don't think that if Shaq Griffin fails to make a play The reliable and reasonable and responsible conclusion is going to be, well, if he had a hand, he'd have made that play. So I'm rooting for him. It's a great story. It's an inspiring story. We all need examples like that to keep us from getting caught up in dumb shit that we shouldn't be worried about. When you see someone else who is overcoming adversity, I think it makes you better in your day-to-day life, and we are better than that. And it also allows you to be prepared to deal with the adversity that eventually will come in your own life. Because we all face adversity at some point. We all do. If you've never faced adversity, you're either really young or you're really naive. Because the thing about the human animal, we have a way of coping and dealing with it and getting past it once it's happened. But while we're experiencing it, it's not easy. And when you see examples that are set by people who are experiencing with it and they're around us and we can watch them and follow their careers, follow their lives, take inspiration from that and have a reservoir of attitude and strategy and resiliency for when the things happen to us. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Steph Boyardee asks, what pick to you does not make any sense to the team he was drafted by? I... Let me pull up all the picks. I was surprised by the Calvin Ridley pick, although I like the connection back to Julio Jones. And if you listened to the PFTPM podcast earlier this week, you, you heard Calvin Ridley talk about how he's been working with Julio Jones. They have Muhammad Sanu. They have Julio Jones. What's Calvin Ridley develop into? to justify the 25th overall pick, 26th overall pick. It seems like it's a high spot for a guy whose ceiling is a number two receiver. So that one kind of surprised me. Nobody saw Terrell Edmonds, the safety from Virginia Tech, going to the Steelers. No one saw that one coming. Sony Michelle, the running back, to the Patriots at 31. When you look at how the Patriots deal with running backs, was this a hey Tom Brady, don't get upset, don't retire, don't leave here. Here's a weapon for you. Here's a here's a guy because if you're going to use the 31st overall pick on a running back, you're going to use him, I would think more than the Patriots typically use running backs, which are just like cogs in a machine. They never have a workhorse. If you're using a first round pick on a running back, that tells me he's going to be on the field. That tells me that this is a guy who's going to be playing from time to time. So that doesn't fit, in my view, with the way that the Patriots typically handle the running back position. Other than that, there was really nothing that that got me fired up and thinking, you know, I, I look, most of these people who are making these picks. They, they know what they're doing and they have a plan. Now, the reality is half of these guys are going to stink, but you know, these these folks have gotten to the point where they have these jobs because they know what they're doing for the most part. For the most part. And we'll see. I also don't want to be all over at Old Takes Exposed by saying, well, that picks absolutely going to suck. How do we know? How do we know? Oh, you're afraid to take a stand? No, I'm not. I acknowledge the fact that we don't know. I'm taking a stand on the fact that we don't know. We don't know. And we won't know. And you know what? We won't be obsessed with it. We're obsessed with it now. That's the thing. <laughs> Right now, ooh, ooh, 32 players who have been assigned to these 32 teams, and ooh, 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 how's it all going to play out? By the time that we know, we're more concerned with how are the teams doing. We're not saying, oh, how is the the 29th overall pick, Taven Bryan, how is he faring? We need to check in on him. No, the Jaguars are either good or they're not good. They're either competitive or they're not competitive. And if he becomes a star, okay. But it, it goes it goes from individuals, from really the end of the first waiver free agents till the draft, it's individuals focus on this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And then after that, it all goes back to team. How are the teams doing? Now the individuals come into play if you play fantasy football and who doesn't, but it's just kind of a weird shifting of the mindset. And, and it's part of this whole draft media industrial complex that we, we just get consumed with the draft and grading the picks and how do they fit and who whiffed and who didn't, we don't know. And by the time we do know, we don't care. Well, you should go back and grade the picks from three years ago. Well, you know what? There's no market for it because anytime anyone does it, they put in a ton of work and a ton of effort and nobody reads it because nobody cares. That's what's weird. We care immensely until the picks are made and the dust settles. And then we go back to just following all of the teams and everything that's going on. At Brown Parcels, do you remember when you only had 10 friends to ask you questions? Yours truly, friend number 11, who doesn't ask questions but is a really good listener. It was fewer than 10, not that long ago. We, we used to get a decent number of questions, but now it's like through the roof, through the roof, over 100 some days. I remember it was a big day when we had more than 50. Now, like today when I opened it up, there were only 64, 65, and I thought, man, something's wrong. It's a Friday. At VAB1997, what's more pointless, mock drafts or draft day pick grades? Without question, it's grades. The grades, and I don't even bother to say it anymore. I used to to hype the PFT draft grades. Incomplete. Everyone gets an incomplete. It's stupid. It's stupid to even try because, again, we don't know. Well, but you have to have an opinion. My opinion is we don't know. Let's find out. That's my opinion. Why do we have to have a take on everything? We have all these new players coming in. Let's see what they do. Why do we have to know? It's like having an opinion on a movie based upon the opening scene. Or based upon the trailer. Well, what do you think of that movie? Give that movie a grade. I haven't seen it yet. Can I see the movie first? Why do I have to have an opinion on the movie based on the trailer? Maybe the trailer is the best 90 seconds of the movie and the rest of it is pure shit. All right. I do sound like a grumpy old bastard, don't I? Maybe I am. Maybe I am. Look like you're going to a funeral. Maybe I am. It's my favorite line from Walk the Line. I need to go back and watch that. Have you seen that? I'm waiting for your answer. Do you see I put on Twitter last night a photo of the patron saint of the barn, Johnny Cash? It's a barn wood rendering. And it looks like it's burned on there. It's not. It was airbrushed or something like that. It looks like the old burn, the wood burn kit. Remember that thing? They let kids play with that thing, like sear your arm, third degree burn on your arm. Oops, sorry. Oh, 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 Jimmy! Be careful with that. You'll cook your own arm. But it's the Johnny that great photo from one of his prison concerts. There was a cameraman in his way, and he and he gave him the finger. And it just, it just when you see that photo, it there's just something magical about it. It's one of my favorite photos of all time. Johnny Cash with his guitar strapped around him, giving him the finger at some prison somewhere. It's great. Anyway, how do we get down that that hole? Steph D, why did the Patriots not take Lamar in your opinion? Now, look, I've been all over this thing that the Patriots flirtation with Lamar Jackson was bogus and phony and it was aimed at getting people to think they were interested in Lamar Jackson when they weren't. I had someone else tell me who I think is in a position to have a reliable opinion in this regard that the Patriots no longer are as good at securing information as they used to be and that they got jumped for a couple of guys that they wanted at 23. Frank Ragnow, the Lions center, the 20th overall pick, and Rashawn Evans, the 22nd pick. They didn't get jumped for Ragnow because the Lions were there. They got jumped for Rashawn Evans at 22 by the Titans. The Titans sprang past the Patriots because the thinking was the Patriots were going to take Evans. And the thinking is the Patriots would have taken Ragnow. And that, let me read the exact language of the text. Obviously, I can't tell you who it's from. Let's see. It used to be that you couldn't get information out of New England, but I think those days are over. Too many branches all over the league. so. Recliner QB. Does the Virginia police refusing to release video from Paul Richardson's traffic stop imply that the officer acted inappropriately? Otherwise, why not release the video? I don't know why you can't release the video. I don't know what law prevents it from happening because public agencies typically are required to provide information, freedom of information. Now, are they saying that this is part of, I need to read the story. Somebody else wrote it at PFT as part of some ongoing investigation. At some point, the information has to be released at some point. They can refuse to release it, but news organizations can take them to court and they're going to be forced to release it at some point. You can't hide this. The whole idea in having these videos is to hold police departments accountable. How can they be accountable if they can hide the videos? So that one is confusing to me. At K-Stees13, which draft pick foreshadows something we may not have known before the draft? For example, the Saints trading up for Davenport could tell us the Saints' time with Cam Jordan is coming to an end. Well, look, it could. And I think in many cases, these picks all do. When you have a rookie coming in as a first-rounder, if there is an incumbent player, there's a chance that that rookie is going to replace the player at some point down the road. Now, I don't think Calvin Ridley is going to replace Julio Jones, but... That's one of the things about the draft that doesn't get mentioned as part of the TV production that is the draft because it doesn't it doesn't fit with the whole notion of positivity and hope and arrow pointing up and everything is great and isn't this great. For veteran players, they hate the draft. Akeem Hicks recently said, I hate the draft. They're going to go out and find my replacement. I mean, I think me personally, if I was playing in the NFL after I got my second contract, because I think the way I'm wired, and and I think a lot of guys are wired this way, I just didn't have the physical skills to, you know, be in a position to do it, but you have a goal, goal goal-oriented, type A, go get what you want. And my goal would have been from the moment I'm drafted, get my second contract and you work and you fight and you scratch and you claw and you eat right. And you do everything you're supposed to do. And you study your playbook and I'm going to get the most out of my ability. And I'm going to impress the coaches and I'm going to, I'm going to c- clean up the, 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 the dirty towels and anything they want me to do to prove to them that I am worthy of the faith and the trust and and the compensation that comes from a second contract, right? And then you get the second contract, and hooray, you've climbed to the top of the mountain. Right, now what I'm going to worry about, I know what I'm going to worry about, I'm going to worry about somebody coming and taking what I got, right? You look around, it's like, all right, who's going to come take what I got? And every year, your team has six to ten guys, one of whom may play the exact position you play, fill the exact role you play, and I think every year, as the draft approached, I would be emptying the contents of my bowels regularly as I wait and worry to see who my team is going to pick, especially in round one. And every year we see it now where one of these quarterbacks signs a decent contract and then, well, they've drafted your replacement. Welcome to Arizona, Sam Bradford. You are our quarterback by virtue of the $15 million per year contract we have given you. Oh, by the way, you can make another $5 million based upon whether or not you can actually play because, you know, we know that's an open question now. But you're our guy until you aren't. Mike Glennon last year, Sam Bradford this year. Almost Case Keenum this year. So, what was the question? Oh. Which draft pick foreshadows something we may not have known? They all foreshadow bad news for veterans that currently have those positions. Already Trent Brown traded by the 49ers. They don't need him anymore. They drafted Mike McGlinchey. He'll become the right tackle. Joe Staley's the left tackle. Eventually, Joe Staley's not going to be the left tackle. It's going to be Mike McGlinchey. And Joe Staley knows that. So, I don't see any, there's nothing jumping off the page as some, oh boy, you know, it's, it's it's obvious at this point. Lamar Jackson. It foreshadows that they're done with Joe Flacco. Lamar Jackson is this year's Patrick Mahomes, the first-round quarterback drafted by a team that has an aging franchise quarterback who's going to be there for one to two years max moving forward. And we already had the sense that the Ravens were moving in that direction, but the decision to draft Lamar Jackson to trade back into round one and get Lamar Jackson, it tells us that unless Lamar Jackson just doesn't work out, Joe Flacco's gone. And even... If Jackson doesn't work out, Joe Flacco is probably gone. Jason Schender, what were your thoughts on Troy Aikman's debut performance as a draft analyst? I've seen all the reviews that he was good. I didn't notice anything bad. I'm always looking for something bad. So if there's nothing bad, it must have been good. I'm listening for something that's like irritating or, or just not great. Like some people were, were praising Steve Smith. I don't know. And Mooch is a little too excitable. I think he needs to switch to decaf after 2 p.m. I didn't like the outdoor set. Like either Aikman's... Because it really... Is it the kids' table? What is it? So you bring in a guy who is one of the top analysts for Fox. The top analyst. He's going to be Thursday Night Football lead analyst. Why doesn't he have the seat that David Shaw has? Why, Why does David Shaw get showcased every year at this table? Right? Troy Aikman, Fox... NFL network, number one analyst. Why isn't he at that table? Add a fifth person at that table. Why does it have to be four? So I, I, it just was odd to me that Aikman was relegated to the outdoor set. Cause if I'm Aikman, Hey, if I'm doing this right, I'm your top NFL analyst. I, I'm at the grown ups table. I'm not out here at the kid table. There was not even a host out there. Wasn't that weird? I don't know if they were trying to make it not look like the kids table by not having a host. It was three analysts and no host. And I, trust me, I've done this long enough now to know that those factors come into the process. It's all part of the subliminal messages that are being sent to us. So by not having a B host, it didn't come off as a B table, but it still did. It still did. It just wasn't as obvious because there wasn't a B team host. You've got Rich, the A-team host, somebody out there, the B-team host, whoever it would have been, who would it have been? Who are the B-team hosts? Scott Hansen, Andrew Siciliano, one of the B-level guys or C-level guys. It would have been obvious it's a B-level or C-level operation. And I think that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Aikman's agent, whoever it is, didn't say he'll do this, but we don't want a host out there because then it's going to look like it's a B-level Operation. Speaking of B level operations or C level operations, we'll continue with your questions on the PFTPM podcast. Rev Webbs 219, will the draft be this exciting and unpredictable each year, or was this mostly because of circumstances? I think it was mostly because of circumstances. There there wasn't one or two players where, damn. These are the top guys. And it's just a question of who qualifies for those picks. And maybe there'll be a trade for somebody who gets them. But because there wasn't that head and shoulders, absolutely positively got to have these guys. Even though Saquon Barkley, I think, was the non quarterback who was that guy. It's a quarterback driven league, it's a quarterback driven draft. And when you don't have quarterbacks that stand head and shoulders above the others, I think this is what happens. But I also think that teams are now going along with the idea that this is a TV show. We don't want to tip any of the picks during the draft. So we definitely don't want to tip the number one overall pick. You know, you still have the right to sign the number one overall pick to a contract before the draft. That never happens anymore. And in part because of the rookie wage scale, because part of the leverage was, well, maybe we won't pick you. Hey, we'd like to negotiate a contract with you as the number one overall pick in the draft. And there's a lot of variables that can be discussed. Are you interested in negotiating? Yes, I am. Okay. And part of our leverage is we're going to pick somebody else if you don't like this. Remember Aaron Rodgers was in the mix to be the number one overall pick in 2005, part of the negotiations. They probably could have negotiated a better deal with him than Alex Smith. I think they used Aaron Rodgers to leverage Alex Smith into a better deal for the 49ers. In 2007, they were talking to Brady Quinn in Oakland, in addition to Jamarcus Russell, negotiating with him. You're allowed to negotiate with anyone if you've got the number one pick in the draft. And if you find somebody that's willing to do a crappy deal... Hey, you're more attractive to us as the number one overall pick in the draft. And we'd hear things like, well, you know, there's value, inherent value in being the number one overall pick from a marketing standpoint. So you should want less money. So anyway, I think the teams now get it. The Browns were all in with it. Two years ago, the Rams, Je- Jeff Fisher has that, that little smirky makes where it's kind of half hidden by his mustache. They like that. They like the attention that comes from it. Revel in it, own it, enjoy it. People are paying attention to your team for reasons other than what you do on the field, good, bad, or otherwise. Relish the attention. It's like being on hard knocks without having all the cameras around. Paul PJ5, why does Goodell sound so robotic when giving picks and reading promotional stuff during the draft? Look, I think a lot of us would. A lot of us would come off that way. The draft has outgrown the commissioner. And I've tried to explain that to people at the league office tactfully, I mean, if he's going to be booed relentlessly, that's not a good sign. And if you're going to make this into a gigantic TV production, if you're thinking about the draft being covered the way the presidential election is with every network televising it, at some point you have to say, we need to treat this like the Oscars. We need Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, whoever the the hot late night host is of the day, Jimmy Fallon, somebody to be the host. Somebody who knows how to play the crowd, somebody who knows how to deliver. The best example came three years ago. When you mispronounce Marcus Mariota's name right out of the gates, and he got the front half of it right, everybody called him Marcus Mariota. Remember that? Some people still do. Marcus Mariota. Alvin Kamara gets that a lot of times now, to the point where I had to stop and ask myself, is it Kamara or Kamara? I think it's Kamara, but people say Kamara, or it's Kamara and people say Kamara. With Mariota, it was Mariota, 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 Mariota. No, it's Mariota. You got the front half right. You got the back half wrong. Marioto. I think a trained tongue, someone who speaks for a living in a public setting is better suited to that. Somebody with a booming voice, James Earl Jones, Sam Elliott. I've suggested that in the past. I think it's grown past them. It can't just be a novelty voice. It's got to be a presence. It's got to be a host. It's got to be a professional host. People who do it every night, standing on their feet in front of a crowd. Colbert, Kimmel, Fallon. It should be one of those three every year. And the NFL already has the relationships with each of those networks. So that's what they should be doing. What's your favorite movie or top three favorite movies? Oh boy. They did that thing recently on Twitter where they were asking for the movies that define you. I used to watch A Few Good Men and My Cousin Vinny multiple times as I was getting ready for a trial because I thought both of them combined got me in the right mindset because A Few Good Men got you fired up for the things that can happen when you get a witness under oath who is not willing to tell you what you need to know and how you work them and get them to comply and ultimately give in to your will. You know, not that you can be a complete and total jerk in front of a jury because if you are, you end up alienating the jury and good luck getting justice for your client if the jury thinks you're a turd. My Cousin Vinny gives you that looseness that you need. You know, you need to have that. You just need to be loose. You can't be tight. You can't be stiff. You can't be robotic. You got to be able to talk to the jury like I'm talking to you now. Part of that skill now, look, I'm just sitting here talking into a microphone, but to be conversational, that's how you talk to a jury. Like you're sitting down across a table, just, you know, having a cup of coffee and a piece of toast and you're talking. So my cousin Vinny, that, that way, not that I was in there, you know, mimicking a new york accent and saying everything that guy said is bullshit thank you but those two became my favorites because of that i like gladiator i don't watch that enough i like michael clayton a lot i'll watch that at least once a year that's i've got a rotation of movies that i make time to watch at least once a year if you watch it more often than that i think it i think it spoils it's almost like the wizard of oz mindset and i saw that the wizard of oz is on amazon prime now and i feel like i need to watch it because that was a ritual when i was a kid that was a big deal Wizard of Oz was on once a year, and that was a big deal because that was your only chance to see it. They didn't put it back out in the theaters. I think they could have put it back in the theaters like once every three or four years, and people would have gone to it. I don't know what the network that aired it was paying for the rights to it, but every year that was a big deal for kids in the 70s. The Wizard of Oz is on tonight, 7 to 9, NBC. And I feel like that burned into my head, that if it's a movie you really like, and hey, I watched it every year. Loved it. Scared shitless when the witch came. And then I turned 25. But I feel like now, like once a year, Gladiator, Michael Clayton, The Prestige, which is a very, very underrated movie. An excellent movie. If you've never seen it, it's on Netflix. Watch it right now. Stop listening to this podcast and go watch The Prestige. So that's just a... A flavor. Favorite scene of Michael Clayton at the end. When he has Tilda Swinton on the ropes. When she knows the jig is up. When she thinks he's dead. I think you've seen a ghost. And he lets her have it. And it's great. It's great. I remember the first time I saw that. As soon as that scene ended. I didn't know how much was left in the movie. As soon as the scene ended. I rewound it and watched it again. And then as soon as the scene ended, I rewound it and watched it again. And then I didn't realize the movie ended right after it. But that scene is one of my all-time favorite movie scenes. The way it's acted, the way it's delivered, the passion, the emotion, everything about it. It's just badass. Because the whole thing came crumbling down. And then when the white shadow comes out, and he's like, like all confused. Stop that man. Like, he's the criminal. Stop that man. Are you okay? And it just all... The whole thing. U North is the name of the fictional company in there that was essentially killing people with its pesticides, and then started killing people literally. And it just was a good movie and a great moment as it all came falling apart. Recliner QB, do you watch the entire draft, even all of day three? I, I won't watch all of day three. Now I met. You know what? Being it, it gives me an, an excuse to kind of hang out in my barn all day. So maybe I'll put Madden on and play a little Madden. Work on the Ultimate Team. Do some of the solo challenges, pile up some coins. Thinking about getting a Drew Brees, a '98 Drew Brees, to go along with the '95 Deshaun Watson. Because I tell you what, as a passer, the '95 Deshaun Watson, he, he's not fitting it through the windows when everybody's got the '99 Night Train Lane and the the other high end corners. There's a '98 Stefan Gilmore that's hard to throw it past and hard to complete. I, I I need to get somebody that's got a little more pop. Somebody somebody's got a higher accuracy rating for the short passes, medium passes, and long passes. So I'm thinking about saving up my coins and getting Drew Brees. So I got to do more solo challenges to get more coins. So I may be doing that tomorrow, round six, round seven. I'll i I'll, I'll have the audio on for the draft. I'll be paying attention to the parrot and and an orangutan if there's a, a, a return of the orangutan, a surprise, a big surprise on Saturday. They're bringing back the orangutan just to make Mike Mayock's head explode. But I'll, I'll watch most of it tomorrow. There will be a point though where I just can't do it anymore. Recliner QB, what do you think will be the biggest story of day two of the draft? I depends on how deep some of these people slide. Guys that are still in the green room, will they slide? How far will they slide? When will they be picked? Patriots, when will they take a quarterback? Will they take a quarterback? Will it be Mason Rudolph? Will it be Kyle Laletta? I think they have to take a quarterback in round two or three. That's a big story. I'm also, and and I, I didn't want, I definitely wasn't going to, post this story, because I don't want to be party to what may be an effort to get someone who has fallen to fall even farther, possibly into the clutches of a team out there that would like to see him fall even farther. But it's my understanding that TMZ is sitting on some story about one of the draft picks, and TMZ is going to publish it when the player is drafted, which tells me TMZ is a little nervous that it doesn't want to be accused of damaging someone's draft stock by publishing the story ahead of time, because that's when it would have more value from the standpoint of, you know, hurting the kid. So at least they're not trying to hurt the kid. And I'm definitely not, I'm not saying who, and I'm not even 100% sure it's going to happen, but there's talk. If this is pro football talk, there's talk in league circles among teams that TMZ is sitting on a story about a player who may or may not be drafted tonight, but once that player's drafted, the TMZ story is going to go about some incident. I don't know. I don't know any details about the incident, but TMZ sitting on something. And it may be a whole pile of nothing, but uh, that's something to keep an eye on, that one of these guys tonight, when they're drafted, I, I, I mean, I know who it is, and when the person's drafted, I'm going to go straight to TMZ and see if th- the story shows up. Skull is in session. Can we get a quick refresher on how fifth year options would work based on draft order player position? Here's how it works first round picks have the fifth year option available. The teams hold that option. By May 3rd of the player's fourth season, the option has to be exercised. And if the option is exercised, the player has a salary for his fifth year guaranteed for injury only until the first day of the player's fifth league year. At that point, it's guaranteed fully. Now, here's the catch. If the player suffers an injury during that fourth year that keeps him from passing a physical before the first day of the fifth league year of his career, the money's fully guaranteed. That was the risk last year with Blake Bortles. And as the season extended for the Jacksonville Jaguars, if Blake Bortles had suffered an injury in late January that would have kept him from passing a physical by March the 14th, he would have had a fully guaranteed $19 $19 million for 2018. And you know what? Maybe one of the reasons they gave him the contract is they were concerned. Remember he had that wrist surgery? Maybe they were concerned that the, the physical would have been passed by the team doctor, but Bortles would have gone to his own doctor, and that doctor would have concluded that the the player did not pass a physical and should get the full $19 million. And while that's pending, the problem is you got to set aside the full $19 million. It's got to sit there. The cap space has to be held. This way they did a new contract with him and they managed to drop his cap number dramatically below the 19000000 million. I'm looking through the CBA now to make sure I'm not missing anything about how they determine the fifth year option. The There's a a dividing line between pick 10 and 11. For the top 10 players in the draft, what you get in that fifth year option is the transition tender from the prior year. So for 2019, it would be the 2018 transition tender for that position. So for a guy like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, top two quarterbacks in 2015, they get the transition tag for 2018 as their 2019 salary. And it's about $20 million. So uh, here we go. Fifth year option for first round selections, page 31 of the CBA. After pick 10, it's a different uh, formula. It's like you get the average of pick two through pick 32 or no, not pick two, but the second highest through the like 30th or 20th highest paid player at at your position, it takes out the highest paid player and it comes up with an average. And the bottom line is it's still driven by position, but after the top 10, it, it drops fairly dramatically, but that's how they figure out the option. It's all, it's all calculated. It's all the subject of a formula. Here it is. Let's see. Here we go. For the first 10 selections, it's the transition tag for the prior year. For all other selections, and this gets all very convoluted and complicated, it's not the highest 10 salaries. It's in here somewhere, but I don't want to read it all word for word because it's got a bunch of gobbledygook in there, but that's generally where we are. At The Real Forno, a very important football question. Favorite video game that isn't a sports game? I don't have one. I don't play any that aren't sports games. If it's not Madden, it's been Madden almost exclusively for the last two years. It's the NHL game. If it's not bad, it's FIFA. My son and I have rediscovered the Burnout series from the old Xbox. Burnout Revenge, something like that. Where you're, you're basically, it's a combination of a racing game, but you're trying to like wreck other cars. We had some fun playing that recently. At the real Forno, least favorite part of the draft, day three, especially once you get past round four. It just gets to a point where it is so monotonous. So monotonous. Apple 1, 2, 3, Apple 11. What's the record for the most first-round picks? Which team, what year, and who did they select? I think it was the Jets in 2000. They had four. I can't think of another time where a team had four picks in round one. And they got them from the... Keyshawn Johnson trade to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That netted two first-round picks. And also, Bill Belichick becoming the coach of the New England Patriots. That netted another draft pick. Here are the 2,000 New York draftees. Sean Ellis, 12th overall. John Abraham, 13th overall. Chad Pennington, 18th overall. And West Virginia's own Anthony Becht at 27th overall. Four first-round picks. I can't remember another team having four. A few years ago, the Vikings ended up with three. I can't remember another team having four. At the C.J. Newman, how mad were the Cowboys fans that Jerry didn't take a receiver? Would they have taken a tight end if they knew about Jason Witten yesterday? I don't know that you take a tight end at 19. And I don't know how they don't know that Jason Witten was thinking about retiring. And I don't know how they don't know that Jason Witten... Was auditioning for TV jobs. It was a fairly open secret to the point where we know he auditioned for the Thursday night job. So he said recently he's planning on playing until he's 40. Maybe they're, I don't know what they're trying to do. And I'll tell you what, if I'm the Cowboys, I'm pissed off that this got out today because now if they're lurking and thinking about drafting a tight end, now you have teams out there knowing they're looking for a receiver and a tight end in round two and round three. I'd be very upset that this got out. I'd be upset with ESPN because they essentially announced it. When Chris Mortensen reports it, and he works for ESPN, he's essentially announcing it. Why is this getting out there today? Why would you want it out there today? If you're ESPN, if you're Jason Witten, if you're Jason Witten and you're negotiating with ESPN, aren't you saying to ESPN, I don't want this getting out. I mean, if Jason Witten's got a decision to make, I think one of the factors is, can I trust ESPN? They put this out there. Unless Witten's trying to create mayhem for the Cowboys on the way out the door, which would shock me, somebody ran their mouth when they weren't supposed to, because it compromises the Cowboys going into rounds two and three, because you want them to find a tight end before the world knows that they're looking for one. Steph Boyardee, who plays first, RG3 or Lamar? I think what's going to happen is this. If RG3 is on the roster week one, and I think if Lamar comes in and shows that he can be the guy who steps in in the event that Joe Flacco is injured during a game, then Lamar ends up being the backup to Flacco, and I could see RG3 not on the team. I I don't think we rule that out. Just like in in New York, they're already saying Teddy Bridgewater may be gone. Well, that's been an open secret as well, because once they move up to get a quarterback, they got... Josh McCown, McCown, they got Teddy Bridgewater, they got Bryce Petty, they got Christian Hackenberg. If they draft a guy, Teddy Bridgewater could be the odd man out. But I think the the plan for now is that RG3 is the guy who would come in and play in the event that Joe Flacco gets banged up during a game. Lamar Jackson is the guy who potentially would be groomed to be the week-to-week starter if Flacco has a five, six, seven-week injury. And also, Chris Sims thinks we're going to see some Lamar Jackson in a Cordell Stewart type of a slash capacity where you get him on the field, you get him comfortable with the speed of the game, you put him in a position where he's doing things, but he's not the starting quarterback. Now, I don't know that that means wildcat package because the truly elite quarterbacks, the franchise quarterbacks, do not like to give up the football, but get him on the field as a running back, as a receiver, give him an opportunity to play and get him comfortable for when he plays next year. I.B. Shane Mayfield throws more touchdowns to Jarvis Landry than interceptions in 2018. I don't know that Baker Mayfield is going to play this year. I think the goal is to keep him on the bench. Now, we hear that every year. I think they do that to keep the expectations low and to not get themselves into a situation where it's perceived that they made a bad pick. Because if you say, hey, he's our guy, and then he stinks, or he doesn't, he doesn't earn the job, He's just horrible in training camp in the preseason. And then you don't go with him. It looks like you. It looks like you failed. All right. We got a full hour in. I want to get this posted and let you enjoy it before the round two begins on Friday night. So I'm going to call it at one hour. Thank you for your questions. And we will do this again. Full draft wrap up with analysis of all the seventh round picks. Not really. When we do PFTPM on Monday. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of the draft.
0: You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up?